Oh, man, for those of us, I'm trying to read my text before I hit send. <laughs> Let me add uh, my happy uh, Mother's Day uh, uh, to you all as well and to all uh, you women that are a part of our fellowship. Uh, we're grateful that uh, you're a part of who, uh, who we are around here. Now, sometime here in the not-too-distant future, we're actually going to worship outside. And there are people like me that love that and prefer it. But uh, uh, hopefully here in the not-too-distant future, we're going to uh, uh, get done updating this room in this space. Seating, carpet, paint, the bathrooms. For those of you who love the bathrooms as they are, I'm going to be sorry to disappoint you, but uh, this is going to be starting here. Uh, uh, COVID and all kinds of things have complicated this process uh, beyond what uh, any of us expected. But sometime here in the not-too-distant future, we'll be uh, worshiping outside for probably a, a couple of months. I love it outside. How many of you love the worship outside? All right, I love that outside and, 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 and being out there. So we're going into the book of Acts this morning. And we've labeled the series Unstoppable. And it's a thematic working through over the next 17 weeks. But uh, we're grateful for all that God has done in and through us. We're grateful for all he is doing in and through us. But we dream of, as a congregation, as a people, having an even bigger impact as we go forward. So that's why we're looking at the book of Acts. This church got launched. And uh, heck, they didn't even have the Bible in a codified form at the time. But they took this gospel and they spread this and lives were, were, were changed. So we're going to be looking at this book with our hope that God would uh, increase our personal and our corporate impact in this world. Too many people that still don't love Jesus and we're hoping that he'll use our looking at this work inspired by him to increase our love for him and increase our impact. So uh, I came across this as Dr. Wilkin. These are, of course, all approximations. But just to give you a sense, about 10,000 believers, he estimated, in about 100 A.D. So after 70 years, roughly, of uh, after Jesus had uh, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. 100 years later, there's roughly 200,000. Now, 50 years later, up to about a million, and 50 years after that, he estimates in about 300 A.D., there were 6 million, and this thing is taken off, and this thing essentially spreads around the world. Again, we're here today because of what those early believers did, and they took very seriously uh, Jesus' encouragement. So, what made the early church so unstoppable. There was great resistance to the gospel back then. Great resistance. And yet the power of Jesus and the life transformation that comes through faith in him, it grew and people shared it and it spread. And, and that's the big theme we'll be looking at this summer now, going into uh, Labor Day. Today will be, in some ways, an introduction. We're going to look at seven themes laid out in the first 11 verses. 
seven things that this early church enjoyed. We'll be developing many of them throughout the rest of, uh, of, of, of the series. But we're going to jump into the book of Acts, written by a guy named Luke. Paul wrote more books in the New Testament. But if you just take the quantity of text in the New Testament, Luke actually wrote more. Does that make sense? The number of words, Luke has more with his gospel and then with the book of Acts than any of the other New Testament writers. So we're beginning in Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering many proofs and appearing to them uh, uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, Father, our prayer here is that you will help us as we look at this history to see a little more clearly the power, ah, the mission you have for us as those who treasure Christ above all else. Father, we're so grateful you love us, and we're so grateful that you worked in the early church. We get to treasure you here today because they were faithful. My prayer for all of us is that you will strengthen our faith, strengthen our convictions, and our experience of Jesus. We pray that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would use us from the joy we're experiencing to share that with more and more others. Ah, the fields are white for harvest, Father. Ah, we want to be those joy-filled, passionate laborers, letting your love, your grace, your joy just spill out of us into a world that is desperate, that is hurting, that needs Jesus. So do your work, Father. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. So what made the early church so unstoppable. What made them take this in a world that was resistant to the gospel? What made them take this and so passionately promote the good news that there is new life in Jesus? 
I'm going to show you seven, seven things that I think Luke, as he writes this, is trying to help us see. The first one is this, the certainty that Jesus was working in and through them. The conviction that though he'd ascended into heaven, he was still empowering and still doing his work. Here's the way Luke begins this book. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, likely some sort of Roman leader, he addresses him in the book of, uh, in, in his Gospel as well. In that first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Everybody see that there? Began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who he, whom he had chosen. I got a two-volume set, Lucas saying. Theophilus, this is the second volume. The first volume is about this, all that Jesus began to do. You know what the second volume's about? All that Jesus continued to do. After he ascended into heaven, Jesus continued his work through his apostles. Now, you look anywhere, and it came, he got named about the second century, and uh, you'll probably see this book called The Acts of the Apostles. We got little books for you. I hope you'll take one that you want to read, uh, you, you can use as we go through this series. It'd be helpful. I love this book. The Acts of the Apostles. That's what it says on it. Is it wrong? I think it better be named the Acts of Jesus through the apostles. This is where they started. They were absolutely convinced that God was working in and through them. Just like today. What's the first thing we have? The conviction that Jesus is still doing his thing. Jesus is still promoting his gospel. Jesus is still doing his work. He's just using us. But the almighty God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is actively promoting the good news of the gospel through us. The second thing, they had the experience of Jesus' life, death, and teaching. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands. He's given them directions as to how to live, how to see the world through the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that. Next week, we're going to look at the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think lots of people see the Holy Spirit is not really working until Pentecost, 50 days later when they're baptized. We're going to pull this apart next week, so I'm not going to talk about it much today. I'll give you my view of what I think happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He was already working. Here Jesus says, as he's talking to the disciples, it is through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. The Holy Spirit was already working before he died, before he rose from the dead. He was already working in the disciples' lives. He was already present. So we'll pull that apart a little bit more next week. 
given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing that they have. The truth and reality of who Jesus is. That's what Luke's first volume about. Some of you, do you remember where we just finished? We just worked through a book. Does anybody remember the book? John. John was doing the same thing that Luke was doing in his first gospel. God left the glory of heaven and came down into this world. And he did miracles. And he gave us a view of God. It's Jesus. Our passion for who we are and what we do, it's, real, it's, it's, it's rooted in the reality of Jesus. We see that in other people who love him. We see it in those gospel writers who tell us about him. It's true. As John ended his gospel, he said, and these things are true. So that's the second thing that these guys were given. The reality of Jesus. Did I read this already? I didn't, did I? Did I read this? Did I go back? Uh-oh, sorry. Third thing. I could have put this in the second point, but I made it a third bullet because they got all this teaching. They saw him do all these miracles, but it wasn't until he rose from the dead that they actually put it together. That's where the evidence, that's where all of a sudden, okay, I get it. John, at the end of the gospel, when he looked in there and saw that the tomb was empty, he says, hey, now it finally, I, I, I get it. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Again, somebody rises from the dead, I'm going to suggest that establishes a level of credibility that nobody else has, just the way it is. Now, I had shared with a number of folks in a number of contexts. I shared it with you last Sunday. And so I had talked to several friends and in the staff, and I said, I don't get the ending of John. Do you remember me saying that last week? Some of you were here. It starts with this majestic, glorious, deep, profound view of who Christ is, right? I mean, go back and read the beginning of John. In the beginning was the word going back to Genesis, in the beginning, God. And I mean, it is profound, it is deep. And John finishes with Jesus eating breakfast on the beach and having a conversation with Peter. I shared with you, I don't quite get this. I'd shared that with a lot of folks. I'm going, there's got to be a deeper meaning here. Well, Dan Jones emailed me last Sunday afternoon. After I already preached the stinking sermon. Just for the rest of you, when you have ideas that you think will be helpful, if you give them to me before the sermon, it's way better and more helpful for me. <laughs> but I get this email, and I'm going to be paraphrasing. He says, you start with this glorious, majestic, 
transcendent view of Jesus. He's God. He is the creator. In the beginning, he is there. And if you trace the ark to the end of the book, and I think he nailed it, we see the, the movement from the transcendent to the imminent. God Almighty, who created everything. And how does he end the book? God Almighty. Eating breakfast with the disciples. Having a conversation with Peter. Reinstated him. Making sure he understands he's forgiven. This arc from the transcendent to the, the imminent, and as Dan pointed out, Emmanuel. God with us. I got that, and I'm thrilled because I go, that is it. That's exactly what John's doing. Now, next time, Dan, tell me before the sermon. That's what this is based upon after he rises from the dead. The promise of the Holy Spirit, and this is what we'll look at in far more detail next week. It will be the focus of our entire time together. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Luke has already told us that Jesus spent a good share of his time talking about the kingdom. How well were they listening? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm fairly confident Jesus would have covered this idea. But here's what I love about Jesus. No expression of impatience. No, hey, you weren't listening, you knuckleheads. Just a patient response. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. You get this. There's going to be a consummation of the kingdom. It's going to be great, but that's not knowledge for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's what we're going to look at next week. I'll give you just, just a, a, a sampling. I think the, 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 the early believers, I think the word I'll use is they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit at this point in time. You following me? I'll pull this up a vocabulary. When the Holy Spirit comes on them at Pentecost, the promise of Joel, I think it's something in addition to that. You hear me sometimes at the end of these services pray for, Father, fill us with your spirit, baptize us with your spirit. I'll explain more clearly what I mean by that, and I take it from what I think Luke is saying here in the book of Acts. Jesus promised, as you remember in John, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and be their helper and guide. He indwells us, but he empowers us. Jesus is working in and through us. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us. As we live in this world, what do we need to be afraid of? 
Nothing. Nothing. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're on our team. Indwelling and empowering us. The reality and the conviction that that is the reality, oh man, that gives us confidence and grace and love, but confidence. An unmistakable calling. So you guys know I've been going to church my whole life. Love the church. Oftentimes frustrated by the church, and I'm talking about big church. You with me? There's a book out there, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that was written by an author, Neil Postman, probably about 50, 60 years ago, and it's just gotten worse. God has been so good to us that we have become folks that are just enamored with being entertained. I think it's leaked into the church. Now, don't hear me suggesting when we're part of the church, we want our minds and our hearts engaged. But entertainment for me is something passive. You go to a movie, you sit there. You go to a concert, if it's somebody you enjoy, you may stand up, but you're not actually invited to join the band. Sharia won't let me come close to what happens on stage on Sunday mornings. I understand why. <laughs> Do I get a mic? Oh, she says I get a mic. They're just gonna tell, uh, don't turn it on. So even for me, the way this thing is situated, sanctuaries, it can feel like we're the ones doing work and you're the ones just sitting there. And, and it's become this, this, it can be this passive, passive thing. where we're, I watched the Lakers beat Golden State, for those of you who know Drew Sodostrom, his favorite team, just so you understand how much the Holy Spirit is in me. I have not yet texted Drew and commented. <laughs> but please understand, it took a lot of restraint and a lot of the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. I watched the game, I enjoyed the game, but I wasn't in the game. I did not play. And I'm afraid when I look at the church in general, it feels like to me that that entertainment passive mentality has maybe crept in. Here's the reality. We're all in the game. All the time. You allow me this role and some of us a role where we get to talk more, but this is the reality. We are all in the game all the time. When we treasure Christ, we are never not in the game. All the time. So part of what made that church work is they understood that. Those early believers, they didn't have Netflix. I mean, what would COVID have been like without Netflix? 
How terrible and abominable would it have been without being able to sit in front of our big screen and watch mindless, endless TV? How good is God to us? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Connect with the church. Be encouraged. Be a witness to one another. Be encouraged. Get fired up. Build those relationships and life groups and elsewhere where you continue to grow in your understanding and experience of my love. But every one of you who treasures me, you have a calling. Here's what it is. To be my witnesses, Jesus says. Oh, how cool is that? We are all in the game all the time. That's what made that church go. That's what makes us go. And a clear strategy. But you'll receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And I'm convinced Jesus then lays out a clear strategy for how that's to be done. In Jerusalem, you start where you live. That's where you start. Then you go to Judea and Samaria. We're going to notice in several weeks a sermon that I'm going to preach. I'm not sure I'll use it, but it's actually a text that I preached when I candidated here almost 20 years ago. A Roman official, Luke quotes, is saying, you guys have filled up Jerusalem with your teaching. You filled it up. Stephen gets stoned. And the church is launched to Judea and Samaria. Stuff isn't by accident. And then, to the end of the earth. Now, you get a lot from me that are just my personal assessments. Y'all understand that, right? There's no documentation to me. Uh, no formal documentation. But I'll tell you, my experience growing up in the church, it feels like to me, to some degree, we've done better with the ends of the earth than Jerusalem. And we can be tempted to give money to people somewhere around the world and feel good about that. I think we feel good, but we're not actually that excited about our neighbor and the people we work with. But we feel good when we see this long list of missionaries that we support, and we, we want to do that. But this is about starting in Jerusalem. And here's my conviction. No data to support this. Those folks who are most invested in bringing the gospel to the folks that they know Jerusalem, my conviction is those are the people that are willing to make the greatest investment in those that are out there around the world. 
because it just flows from this experience of Jesus that we want others to enjoy. So let's look at it here. The clear strategy. Jerusalem, every one of us, every one of us, just sharing the happiness that we have when Jesus with others because we just want them to experience what we are enjoying. And we get more joy by giving it away than by keeping it. This Jesus is brilliant. You want to be happy? Give it away. You'll be even happier than if you keep it to yourself. Now, there are churches out there that have developed a strategy. Nothing wrong with the strategy. But on Sunday mornings, they build Sunday mornings to focus on those yet to believe. That's their hope to attract those folks there. That's not our strategy. We do that twice a year. Anybody want to guess when? Christmas and Easter. And try to remind y'all. Christmas and Easter, these services really aren't designed for those of you specifically who treasure Christ. Now, if you treasure Christ and you come, I'm really convinced you're going to be encouraged. But those services are designed for, for seekers. Twice a year we do that. The rest of the year, our target is those who probably already choose to treasure Christ. But here's our view around here. We want seekers to feel welcomed. We want to have so much life, so much vitality, so much love going on around here. Those folks in Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, they're going, what in the world is going on at RCC? I know so-and-so, and they got some really lousy circumstances in their life, but there's a joy in their heart. Their community is coming around them and loving them like I have never seen. So we get these seekers that I'm going to say, they got to come and peek and look. What's going on here? Because this is the happiest group of people I have ever met. The most loving group of people I've ever met. But most of the folks that don't treasure Christ, it's going to be really hard to get them in this building. So we just trust you all to take it to them. We don't have to get them to church to be introduced to Jesus. Why? Because they know you guys. And you're in the game. 21-day thing we did in January, remember? Thank you for those of you who have encouraged me by saying this tool was helpful, sharing the joy. My alarm goes off, 9.38, except on Fridays when I'm playing golf. And on Sunday mornings, I got it set for the other day, every other day, encourages me. I think I think about this a lot. That alarm goes off, I go, oh yeah, encourages me to just thinking about it. You're one person. Now, if you haven't, haven't done this or haven't gotten one, come see us. We'd love to get you a copy. I think it's a great tool for helping us figure out how to reach our Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria. Oh. As a church, we're trying to do Jerusalem. That's us. It's our primary way. But then we're making investments in Judea and Samaria. We sent Drew up to El Dorado Hills so that more people could get saved. Not primarily so people who already loved Christ could find a church. Has that happened? Yes. That wasn't our primary objective. 
churches are God's primary instrument and the believers in them to help people bring to faith. Now we got a Vintage Grace Placerville. I showed you uh, uh, um, Will Watson. He's going to be down here the last Sunday in August. He'll be preaching. Our granddaughter church, he'll be preaching here. These are byproducts of the investment you all make. When you all give to RCC, when you're invested with your time, your treasure, your money, these are some of the dividends. Now there's going to be a church there. Oregon, Wisconsin. We, we had David Bartosik here. He helped us, and then we sent him off. He's now taken our DNA to Oregon. And I said Oregon, and no, I got corrected when I was there. It's Oregon for those who live in Oregon, Wisconsin, not the state of Oregon. Sorry to be confusing. <laughs> Living well. These are investments we're making together. Catherine Dieters is our connection there as a church family, but moms who get pregnant who think they don't have any options except to get rid of that baby, trying to help those folks. His house, for folks that we're invest there, we've done backpacks and, and make investments there. We've got reach. Man, you guys know about reach? Kids being used for their bodies in Orange County. Safe families. We got another of families that make investments in families where they watch kids and do this stuff. This is RCC trying to touch Judea and Samaria. And then we got the ends of the earth. Kosovo with, with Femi, Albania. Uh, uh, we have Altine, Southeast Asia. You guys know the country there. Brent Hoover, Indonesia with the Robitaille, Africa. We got a couple of folks there. But we are investing in Jerusalem. We're investing in a congregation in Judea and Samaria. And we are investing around the world through people. So I'm going to give you a quick interview here with Altine from Albania. Because when we make that investment, we like to go there sometimes, maybe show up if we can, but this is mostly our giving financial resources to folks to be RCC on the ground there. Hey, uh, RCC family. Uh, this is uh, Altin uh, Zephi, and he's one of our partners in the gospel, and uh, uh, he uh, lives in Tirana in Albania. How you doing, Altin? We're doing fantastic. Glad to be with you this morning, and I send you greetings from Albania, Tirana. Uh, the church you planted it, I think, in 2008. It was just you and your wife. On a Sunday morning now, roughly how many people are there celebrating Jesus? We have between 60 and 80 adults, plus 20 or 30 kids. So we are mostly young families, young adults, uh, very few people old like myself. Uh, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a very fun community and, uh, that loves Jesus. So it's exciting to be here. And for those of us in the United States, this is a Muslim country. So folks, this is actually a big church in this part of the world. This is a significant gathering of, of believers. And out of this church now, uh, uh, you're going to launch a satellite here pretty soon. Yeah, we're, we're hoping the Lord uh, will provide everything we need to launch the church uh, in September. One of our elders, he has already started a, like a, a small group or house group in his house where he's doing Bible study. And actually, he's uh, studying from the book of Acts. And hopefully from that group, it's going to be the, the, core, the core group that's going to la launch the church between 10 and 15 people. Uh, so 
Yeah, we're excited about that. Very cool. From your joy-filled community, you're now launching another joy-filled community that other folks might uh, might love Christ. Again, Altine, too cool to be connected with you now. Uh, give us a story. You got anybody that's been growing spiritually? Anybody you can tell us about here recently? Well, I, I want to share about uh, a recent story that which I myself heard of yesterday. And uh, just to tell that uh, God is at work. God is touching people's lives. So uh, about two months ago, one of the members of our church brought uh, to church one of her colleagues. Uh, her name is Anissa. Anissa came to church, and right after church, we asked uh, her friend, uh, uh, the believer, we asked her, how was, how, what did she think about the church? And she said she wept through uh, during the worship. Uh, and she has been coming every Sunday for the last two months. And uh, this last uh, week, uh, we had uh, we we heard the stories that she had a dream, and and this is what most Muslims when they come to Christ, they they come a lot of them come to Christ because of a dream, and so she had a dream where she was in this town in this weird town, uh, and uh, and then she also went into like a banquet, a banquet, you know, there was a like a feast, uh, and somebody invited her to sit in the in the seat. And uh, she was having doubts about sitting in that seat. And then somebody in the dream confirmed to her and told her, if you sit in that seat, it's going to be firm. It's going to be true. It's going to be, it's not going to change. Uh, it's not going to uh, drop you. It's going to be a firm and true mm -hmm. chair. And she woke up crying, weeping. And in her heart, she interpreted that as a confirmation from the Lord that the faith that she, the, and the church and the 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 gospel that she had heard uh, being preached through her, through our members, it's the true gospel. And so she was crying and she told this story to her friend who had invited her to church. And she recorded that in an audio recording and shared with everybody. And she was crying herself. And wow. so it's just, uh, it's an excitement. God is at work and we are so thrilled that uh, we get to be part of it uh, and, and see him do uh, change lives. Too cool, uh, uh, Altine. And we counted a privilege. Uh, that uh, we at RCC are partnered with you and your church family, and uh, uh, we're going to commit to continuing to pray for you, and our hope is this relationship with you and your church family continues to grow. You keep promoting the love of Jesus. Keep sharing I, his grace. I appreciate that. I thank you for being partners with us and just uh, uh, through RCC investing in, in the gospel ministry here in Albania, and we're doing our best to spread the good news of, of Christ to uh, everybody in Albania. We, we we love you. We love your church. And yeah, we're all going forward together, raising up the name of Jesus. So Lord be with you until we talk again, my brother. God bless you. Thank you. You as well. So RCC, we're reaching Jerusalem. We're, we're trying to invest in Judea and Samaria, and there are lives being changed around the world. A young woman came to faith. These are the investments that, that we are making deliberately, consciously, hopefully uh, strategically. The last thing and I see here is the awe-inspiring guarantee of his glorious return. If you look at the text, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. It's going to be a great day for those of us who treasure Christ. Part of what motivates us is we want it to be a great day for a lot more people. Because if you don't treasure Christ, this is an understatement.
it is not going to be a good day. But for those of us who love Christ, who knows what's coming when this world gets put back to the way it should be, the way it was a creation where sin is not a problem anymore and Jesus reigns, that day is coming. I don't know when. The disciples, they were told, you don't know the times and days. It's not coming. But, oh, man, this is what engaged the church. So here's the reality. God is doing and has done lots of wonderful things through this fellowship. He is right now doing lots of wonderful things. But we're greedy for his glory and his grace to be experienced by more people. So we're going to continue to make this investment in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're hoping this book will be used to encourage us and inspire us even more. You got two things. You should have two things in your uh, worship folder this morning. One, it says unstoppable here. There's a little prayer written on the back. My encouragement would be to you every day, pray this prayer. If you can read it with meaning, I think that'd be great. If you just want to summarize it in your own words, that'd be great. But God, you are alive and you are working. Jesus is working in us. The Holy Spirit's working in us. We got the truth of who Jesus is and his resurrection. Then here is a reading schedule for the summer. You want to read the text before you get here, just have a little background? I think that might be helpful. It's a delight to be a part of this church family. If you're new here, you probably understand already, but you'll figure out pretty quickly, we're a long way from perfect. Long way. We're committed to grow in our experience of God's love, and we are committed to spreading that to the best of our ability, know we're being empowered by Jesus. I dream, I hope you dream, of those lives that will be touched in and through us by Jesus, because he is doing his work. Luke wrote one volume about what he began to do. Now, this book about what he's continuing to do in and through us. So, Father, thank you for loving us. Thanks for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. We love you. We're excited about the truth of who you are. But we're on this journey with you, each and every one of us. Oh, Father, we want to believe even more thoroughly. We want to see your glory even more clearly. Oh, we want to experience more of your power. We want to have a greater ability to respond with grace and love and patience in circumstances that just frustrate us when dealing with work associates, family, with folks that are out there and hurting that don't see you, Father, continue to fill us with your spirit. I pray that you would baptize us with your spirit for your glory, for our joy, and for the benefit of those who are going 
to come to faith through us. That's our prayer, Father.